Back in high school, I was a, uh, I got the opportunity to be a part of the track team, and I was uh, focused in two main sports. I did shot put and discus, and so being involved with that crowd, you got to end up with a lot of the football players around, because that's who they always sent over to the throw. I was the basketball player. They sent all the, all the ba- football players over to throw, and I had kind of recruited my girlfriend at the time, who was like this sh- short, skinny person who actually did pretty good. I think she was like one of the top on the team for, for the girls. And what was funny about it is I had just become a Christian my senior year, totally pumped up, totally excited about Christ and, and passionate for him. And I'm like, this, this, this is it. And in come these guys. And of course, every, every cuss word on the planet is dropped within 10 minutes. You, you think you've, you know, I always think it's funny. It's like in a rated R movie. Sometimes my wife's like, oh, I can't listen to this. This is too much. I'm like, yeah, just be at my high school. It would have been like a, this in like five minutes. And that's kind of what it was like on the field. And next thing I know, me and my girlfriend, like as Christians, were like, no, no, you can't say that around us. That was our rule, right? You, you started cussing. We're like, you can't, you can't cuss around us. It was this, we got to be known as like the you can't cuss around us Christians or something like that. And um, it was kind of one of those things in my life that it wasn't from the right heart. It was really from an ad- attempt to control them as the team captain and, and keep them from being who they are and, and not walk them and give them Christ. It was more like, here's some rules and, and this is going to help you out and you shouldn't do that anyway and that's wrong and, and so he just had this kind of heart condition. Did anybody guys, any of you guys just wait here see if you're with me. Any of you got any struggle in any of that kind of stuff in high school in college? Okay good. I'm not alone. I'm good. Um, I think we're still not alone because that's a small microcosm to California, right? We're a part of an interesting culture. On one side of our culture is this idea of freedom, freedom in sex, freedom in, in what we speak. We want freedom to smoke what we want, drink what we want, do what we want. This is the freedom push in our culture. Anybody seen that? And there's some of us as Christians, we're like, no, we need to have more freedoms. We need to let people decide and, and fail and let that all work itself out. There's a whole other side of the situation, though, that's interesting to me. The freer people argue to be, have you noticed, is the more we seem to add laws. I mean, we're going to add so many laws, eventually some of you in this room are going to end up in car seats. I'm just going to say it because you're small enough and you don't weigh enough and it doesn't matter. Age will go away and it'll just be, you are not safe, you get a car seat. And you're going to be a 40-year-old in a car seat and it's just going to be ridiculous. But that's where the laws are going, that's where we're heading. And it's just kind of, I, I, I use that facetiously, but the point is in history we've seen, the more people use their freedoms negatively and the more that they start acting out with their freedoms in a certain way, the more there's another group that wants to legislate the carefulness of a culture and legislate the rules around them which we can exist. And so we end up with all kinds of interesting little rules called HOA rules. And those things kind of regulate life. And <laughs> I'm kidding. But the point is simply these rules grow as we're free. And it's a balancing act between the two. And the reason why that balancing act occurs is because we're not sure what to do. We want to control people with the law, but we don't want to be locked down by the law. And when I talk about the law, this is, a, this is even a bigger deal for us Christians. In this series, Pardoned, we've been talking about what is it like to live a life free in Christ, forgiven and set free from your sins. Are we supposed to just run off into sin to use Jesus' get-out-everything-free card? Or are we supposed to turn around and, and put ourselves into these boxes of rules where we obey God and it's this way and it's this and we don't do this and we don't do this and we do this? Because honestly, if you're not a Christian here this morning, you may think that Christians live in a very rule-oriented society where there's all these things we don't do and there's all these things we don't watch and there's all these things we don't touch and there's all these things. And you have this consideration of Christianity as a religion. And what's interesting is when you really dive into it, it's the same heart condition exists in everybody. It's either to run to freedom or to run to a, a, some kind of safety and control. 
And it's no different for us as Christians. And this morning, I'm going to speak to the Christians. So if you're not a Christian, you're invited to listen in and hear maybe a different perspective on how we view things. So feel free to, to listen in like that. But what I want to talk to is mainly to those of us who are Christ followers, those of us who claim to follow Jesus Christ. And we want to be passionate Christ followers here at the church because really the answer is not found in running after sin as we discovered because this every, get out everything free card leads to hypocrisy and bondage into Christ, into sin. And we don't get changed by God. We get bound up in old habits and sin again. On the other hand, the answer is not to end up in the law and end up in all this legalism as it's called. And so what is our relationship with the law then? Because that's an important question. How do we deal with all the rules and stuff, especially since the first half of the Bible is the law? Some of you uh, may not know this, but... The first five books of the Bible it is the, uh, Jewish, the Jewish Torah. It's called the law. And this was the way that the Jewish people were to regulate and relate in their society in the ancient world. And so that has become part of the Bible and part of the scriptures. And so there's books like Leviticus and Deuteronomy, which are just rule after rule after rule after rule after rule. In fact, um, it's come to be a consensus agreement that there are 613 laws inside in that Torah in those first five books. And some of you guys are going, wow, 613 laws? That'd be great. California's got like thousands, you know. You could actually know them. But the difference between American or Californian law and the, and the ancient Jewish law is we, we used to be able to change our laws as Californians. We could argue it. We could get it on a ballot and have it changed. Now, or in the, in the biblical times, there was no question. If God said it, that's how it was. You don't change it. You don't argue with it. If you break it, you're done. And so there's this burden that sits with the law. There's this burden that covers us with the law. And the question then came to Christians, of those of us who are saved, how do we relate to this Old Testament? How do we relate to all these rules and all these laws? Because there's a way to do it, but it may not be the way that we think. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. That's what we're going to dive into. Grab your Bible, open up to Romans chapter 7, and we're going to be moving forward into these, verse, these 12 verses here in, at the beginning of chapter 7, looking at this question, what are we supposed to do with this law? How are we supposed to live? And uh, as we get in here, we're going to see it's an interesting situation. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and grab one from the seats, page 943, and we're in the book of Romans again. And uh, what we're going to see as we begin looking at this is that I'm going to take it out of order. The reason I'm going to take the text out of order is because Paul's going to make his argument and he's going to make a bunch of um, sub-arguments to kind of clarify what he means. We're going to start with the clarifications so that when we get to the argument, we can see what he's talking about right away. And so when we start here, we're going to start down at verse 5. And this is what it says. For while we were living in the flesh... Our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. The way I like to sum this verse up as we begin is that the human condition with the law is a complicated thing. It's not simple. And we'll see that very quickly. It is a complicated situation. The law is actually a taunt to a rebel's heart and also a doom to it as well. Now, when I say a rebel's heart, you'll ex- I'll, ex- I'll show you what I mean here. Look up at the screen for me for a second. This is what I mean by a rebel's heart. You see it? Everybody's got it in their mind. Now, here's my question: What number do you really see? Okay, seventy. Oh, so that's the highest yet. So, I mean, I've had I've had people say 
45, 25. How many of you guys are the 25ers? You go 25. It's a 25 zone. There are little children, too. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> There's about five of us. How many of you guys see 20? Anybody here like you go under the speed limit? One. I didn't. Yeah, yeah you're learning. That's why. So <laughs> the rest of us probably see, you know, 26, 30. Maybe you're getting to 35. And it depends on if kids are present, right? That's that kind of a, that kind of a reality. So, so we, we don't see this in the right way. We, there's some of us who see it exactly how it needs to be. Others of us, we see this, we're just like, no way, man. It's not 25. There's no kids here. There's nothing to hit. I'm going to go as fast as I can because i got to get home. Others of us are going, no, 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 no. It says 25. Two, five. That number does not change. You may go below it. You may not go above it. It's a speed limit, not a speed suggestion. All you sinners out there. And we get it locked into this kind of like mode and we, and we drive these, car- I'm, not, I'm not trying to, I'm being facetious, but the point is simply this, that guys, we see these things differently. It can provoke our hearts to rebellion or it can call us to be like, oh, if there's a cop there, you're driving 25, aren't you? You fear it. There's a doom associated with it. There's, there's a, a frozenness that comes with the law. And what Paul is pointing out here in verse five is that as is that as non-Christians, some of us were rebels being taunted by law. Some of us fit in a category where the law taunts us. Notice what he says. He says this, For while we were living in the flesh, our, sin, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Now, that word flesh is representing the concept of a life lived out way from following Christ. Now, I hope that doesn't offend anybody if you're not a Christian. The point is simply that it's trying to illustrate the idea that we're living for ourselves. We're living for us, our desires, who we are right now. And that's what we're aimed at, is us and our lives. And you say, no, I'm aimed at caring about other people. But if somebody got in the way of that, you would fight for what you're going and how you're living. And that's, that's what it's saying. And so this idea is that some of us lived in a way that the law aroused our sinful nature. It it provoked it. It taunted it. It called it out. It said, come here. And he illustrates it. He actually gets into more detail here in verse 7. So look down with me for a second. This is where he starts to expand on his conversation. He says, what then shall we say? And he begins, because there's a bit of a question. If if the law causes us to sin, does that mean that the law is sin? He says, no, 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 it's not. Um, verse 7, what then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. His answer is this. If it had, yet if it had not been for the law, I wouldn't have known sin. He said the law is good because it shows us when we're doing wrong. You didn't know it was wrong not to drive 25 miles an hour in the, in the residential zone, especially when you're out of state. If you've ever been out of state and they don't post the markings, and you're driving through a residential, you don't know if it's 15, you don't know if it's 30, because different states have different speed limits. And guess what? The police officer doesn't care. Somehow we were supposed to read every law as you drive through every state on your way to wherever you're going. But the point is simply this, that it, the law, if it's not posted, is still ruling. The funny thing is, is that it's posted so you know. It's set there so you have an idea. And that's what God did. He set the law in so we would know when we were doing wrong, we would see it and we'd go, oh, I'm not supposed to hurt that person. Oh, I'm not supposed to dishonor my parents. You know, so it's this reality that he says, if it hadn't have been for that, I would not have known it. So he continues on. I would not have known sin for if I had, would not have known what is to covet the law, or if the law had not said, you should, or let me reset that. 
or I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. I find this fascinating. He could have picked all of the laws. Out of all the laws, the 613 laws, out of the Ten Commandments, he picks the tenth. And he says, I wouldn't have known I shouldn't covet. Because you know, there's plenty of people in this world who know you shouldn't hurt people. There's plenty of people in this world who know you shouldn't lie. But Paul selects the one law that has nothing to do with action and has everything to do with the heart. He selects the one law that says you shall not covet. See, coveting isn't revealed outwardly. It starts inwardly. It's done through the eyes. I see that and I want it. What's fascinating to me is Paul selects this one. He says, I wouldn't have known that about myself if the law hadn't told me. And so the law is good. And when you read the law, it'll reveal who you are to yourself. It'll convict you. It'll show you how messed up you are. And and what's funny is he's saying, but that's not his case here. He's actually going to go on. He says, but sin, seizing the opportunity, he says in verse 8, through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. It's like I looked at the law and I went, oh, no, you didn't. I'm going to do that. You ever have kids that you do that with? You say, don't touch that. And that's the first thing they go for. They want to touch it. It's like innate inside of us. And so you, you start playing that parent, you know, parent psychology game where you're like, you know, touch that. And they're like, no, I'm like, good, yeah. You know, you tell them not to do good things and they start doing them. It, 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 that's, don't do that. And the, the point is simply that we have this in us, this reverse psychology thing where we want to do what we shouldn't do. In fact, some of us get downright indignant when we get new laws. I mean, I make fun of the HOA. It shows how rebellious my heart is. But the point is simply this, that we have got this situation where it says, don't do this. And we go, yeah, who are you to tell me that? I want to do that. You can't tell me I can't do that. We are rebellious against the law. It evokes in us a desire to actually do it. And what I find fascinating is this is true, not just in American society. This is true around the globe. This is true in the first century. This is a human situation. Humanity is always, when they've heard, don't do that, we've gone, well, why not? Ah, this sounds like a good idea. Hmm. I have a friend who, who, who now go, who is now a Christian. He's at the church, and in his life, he was part of the youth group for years. He kind of walked away from the faith and became an atheist and was and just kind of doing the thing, like living, uh, living anti the word and, and just saying, I'm going to do this the way that I'm supposed to, you know, and living out how he wanted. And ultimately what happened is he got bound up in drugs, he got bound up in alcohol, he got bound up in resentment, he got bound up in all this stuff. And then God saved him. But he told me while we were talking, he's like, I just realized one thing as I was running off in this direction, I was broken. That I, it was just all this stuff that God was te- had taught me just revealed to me that I was broken. And so while some of us are rebels, you run that direction, we all realize it just breaks us eventually, doesn't it? It runs you down to the ground. It shows you you're just a mess. And so some people go, that's, that's why you will follow the rules. That's, that's why you don't go that way. You need to be in the rules. And when you stay in the rules, you won't have a problem. And I think Paul's going to tell us the opposite. But as non-Christians, some of us were afraid of the law because it condemned us. The law was like the police officer sitting there haunting us, and so we didn't break the rules. In fact, some of you here are here today at church because you think you have to be in order to, have a, in order to be called a Christian and in order to have a relationship with God. 
now there's a, there, is a, there is a desire to be together, and that's a whole other story. But the point here is some of us are literally living in our faith in such a way where if you missed church or if you missed certain things, your whole salvation would be gone. Somehow you'd be wondering if you're saved. You'd be wondering all these things. Some of us are living in a rule-oriented, law-oriented world because we're afraid. Look at how verse 9 talks about this condemnation. Verse 9 begins, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. That is a powerful verse. The very commandment that promised life, there is something in the commands that appears to lead us towards life. It promises you life. If you just obey it, if you just do these things, you'll have a great life. Just just follow every line and every rule down. Life would be perfect. There'd be nobody killing anybody. There'd be nobody lying to each other. I mean, when you look at it, it's such a promise, isn't it? Everybody worshiping under the same God. Everybody loving the God with all their heart, soul, mind, strength. All this joy, all this peace, all this unity. If we just follow the law. And so we get into this mode where this promise overwhelms us and we go... We all got to do this. You got to do this. And you got to do this. And you got to do this. And I got to do this. And suddenly you discover that you're living in a law box. And when you live in that, you're going to be, you're going to have a couple characteristics about yourself. You're going to be very critical. And you're going to be very judgmental. You're going to be able to hold the law up to everybody else and go, uh-huh, uh-uh, uh-huh, uh-uh. If you guys would all just follow the rule, don't cuss. You know you shouldn't be cussing. Stop cussing. You cussers, you cussers, you cussers. You know, that's kind of... What happens is we hold everything up with this law rule and just kind of angle everybody in. And then what happens is we turn it on ourselves and we start going, I don't hold up to this either. Oh, I'm horrible. And you may actually be disintegrating your interior of your life because you just can't hold up. In fact, what will happen the first time that you run up against this if you're in this category or you're starting to flirt with this category as a young Christian is you'll go in there and you'll have sinned and you'll be sitting there going, oh, I just messed it up. This is horrible. I'm going to create three more rules so that I don't ever do that again. And you create three little things and maybe three little practices. I'm going to do a quiet time at 1 a.m. every day and then I'm going to have a prayer time at this time and then I'm going to do You ever done that? You're just locking yourself down and more. Because you think somehow you can legislate the heart. That somehow we can put enough laws together that we can tell the heart, no, enough times it'll change. And many people in our culture and our world are trying to get their hearts to, to listen and obey. Entire forms of Christianity have birthed from this, like Mormonism. Where it's all about making sure you get into the line, get into the line, be sure, and all good stuff will happen. And this legalism strangles, tangles, and pulls you to pieces. Because we're afraid of the law and its condemnation. We're afraid of the destruction that will come upon us. So what do we do? If on one hand it provokes us to sin, on the other hand, we realize we're broken because I can't hold up to the laws, but I know it's good in here. There's this promise, what do I do? Because, the, because as he says, it's not the law's problem. Verse, it's the, the, it's verse 11 says, Sin seized the opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So the law is holy. It's used by God to show us sin and judge us. And it's righteous and it's good. It's us who are messed up. What do we do? You can fight it. You can fear it. But what we really need is a relationship change. 
You can fight the law. You can battle against it. You can fear it and try to obey it, but either way, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get you. You need a relationship change, and that's where the gospel comes in. Take a breath. The weight can be gone. Look at this. Go back up to the beginning of the chapter. What we discover is that our relationship, Paul begins his, his, big, his big, big deal in this section. He's saying, guys, this is what's up. The, here, I want you to know something about the law. It's over. Look at verse 4. He says, likewise, my brothers, you, have, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. What he's saying there is our relationship to the law has changed when we became Christians. When you received the gospel and Jesus paid for your sins and Jesus dealt with our rebellion, you came to a new relationship with the law. There's, there's a whole new way of going about this that has nothing to do with fighting off the law or, or obeying every rule in the law. And look how, he, look how he does this. He says, first, we died in Christ. So the relationship has changed. That's what we just read. Likewise, my brothers, you have died to the law through the body of Christ. And what he's talking about is the fact that two weeks ago we said, oh, when we receive Christ, we start following him. Our lives are tangled together. They're bound together. They're unified. What happens to Christ happens to us. So when he died, we died. Look at how important this is. In verse 1 through 3, Paul explains the importance. Look at this. Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, speaking to the Jewish Christians, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is, and this is his example, for a married woman is bound by the law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she'll be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she's free from the law and she marries another man. She's not an adulteress. So death is what he's, what he's saying is death changes the relationship to the law. She's, she's sitting here with her husband and he's alive. And she's locked into the, into the marriage in the law. And then if she wants to have another relationship, she can't. The law keeps her connected. He dies, she can have another relationship. If she's having another relationship and he's alive, she's an adulteress. Done. Law condemns. So the law locks you in as long as you're alive. When death happens, it changes everything. Now, some of you guys are going to start reading this going, well, are we the law? Is, 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 are we the woman? Is the husband the law? What, what's, what's going on here? It's just giving you the illustration of how the law with death works. You're not one of these things or the other. It is just giving you an illustration because the point is we have died. Look again at verse 4. We, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law. So you've died to it because Christ died. You died as a sinner in Christ. Christ bore your sin and you as a sinner have died. And so the relationship with the law is over. It's not condemning you anymore. It's not provoking you anymore. That that relationship is done. That's what he's saying. And so he goes on. He says, you've died to the law through the body of Christ. Why? So that you may belong to another. Who? To him who has been raised from the dead. Why? In order that we may bear fruit for God. What he's simply saying to us is, guys, your relationship with the law is over, so you have now a new relationship. You have a relationship with Christ. Before, you had to relate to God through the law. You had to obey the rules of the law. You had to fear the law. You had to do sacrifice. And you had to deal with your heart and the rebellion. Now, you go through Christ, not the law. You have a relationship with Christ, which changes everything. 
First of all, notice this, we, we, we're accepted. If you have a relationship with God through Christ, you've been accepted, you've been forgiven. It's dealt with. This portion here where we have to fight to try to be right with the law is done. It's been paid for. On the other side, our rebellion, we're saying, I don't want to do that law. I want to do something else. Changes. Because all the law was was God's will. All the law was was God's desire for how they were to live and the desire for how humanity should treat each other. And when we were in rebellion, we were looking at that going, God, I don't want to do what you want to do. And now when we have a relationship with him, it changes our heart about the law. It changes the way that we approach it. It changes the way that we deal with it. And we go, God, I kind of want to do what you want me to do. Because I love you. I love what you've given to me. And so now, there's something that's shifted. We can bear fruit for God. Not towards death, which, which is what the law brought to us, is the fruit of death, But now we have an opportunity to bear fruit for God. God wants to use us. It's not about being rebellion against God. It's God using you to produce good in this world and to do what he's called you to do. We've covered that in the last two, but Paul keeps coming back to this. Last two sermons, and he keeps coming back to this. And so what he does is he goes on to say, now we've been released from the law to serve in a new way with God. Look at this in verse 6. We know that our old, or sorry, that's chapter seven. I do that every service. I go back to chapter six. Sorry about that. But we are now released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. So the, we serve in the new way of the spirit, not in the old way of the written code. This is important. He is differentiating between two ways of life. In the old way, you, you lived by the law. You came to this written code found in the Old Testament, and you did all these things, and you got sacrifices done when you weren't able to meet up to the law. Now he says you're in a new way. You're serving in a new way of the Spirit. What is this? He's speaking of two things. They're called the Old and the New Covenant. Your Old Testament or Old Covenant is this thing that happened when Moses shows up and he stands up on the mountain and he has these Ten Commandments, 15 if you're watching Mel Brooks, but he's standing there, he's got Ten Commandments and he looks down at the people and he says, this is what we've got. God's given us this and all these laws are out. And what God's saying is we've got this relationship and here's how you're going to watch yourself in this relationship. Here are the rules of our covenant. And so there was these written rules on how to relate to God. That's changed because of something that happened. It's called the New Covenant. Up on the screen is going to come a passage called in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. And it talks about the serving God from this new covenant. You need to study this passage apart from church. You need to write it down and study it. It is the most, one of the most important Old Testament passages to understanding what the New Testament is talking about. The new covenant is huge. And it's important because I still believe that majority of what we understand as Christian theology births from the passages that talk about this and also one in Ezekiel. But this is the one we're going to look at for a little bit, a portion of it here. He says this, Behold, God speaking to the Israelites, they are about to be exiled into Babylon, removed from their own, te- their own country and their own temples. It's a horrific scene. Imagine some enemy country coming in here, ripping you away from your home and dragging you to their country. That's what's going on. And Jeremiah is a prophet talking to these people saying, listen up, listen up. And he says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband. Notice the intimacy here. This is like a divorce to God. 
This is the tearing apart of a marriage relationship that he had set up when he brought them out of Egypt. He says, I am your husband. I'm your protector. I'm your provider. I'm the one who cares about you. I'm the one who's going to give you everything. I love you like a husband loves his bride. This is all of his language to Israel. And what did they do? They broke it. They ignored him. They tore apart the covenant, action upon action. And so the the Lord declares this in this new covenant that's coming. Go on to the next verse for me. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. You notice that line? What's the relationship with the law that's changed? I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. It's not written on paper so that, it can, so that it's stuck in a culture. It's written in such a way that it enters you and starts to shape you. You know who is the law? God himself. The Spirit of God takes up residence in our lives. And that's part of the new covenant, that God would come and dwell within us in his spirit. And he who is the law dwells within us and starts to shape us like a coach. Starts to lead us in life and walks with us. The image of of this idea came to me in a different way. In in the music world, when I pick up a guitar, I'm considered a beater. And a beater is somebody who knows enough chords, they just take the pick and they just start hammering away at songs. You just rip away at a song as best you can. If you can't figure out what the chord progression is, take a capo and it's always GCD and you're good to go. So I remember watching Nick, because uh, I was, I got, uh, Nick is one of the worship leaders up here, and I, and I remember watching him first try to learn the guitar, and he's just like, bing, 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 you know, just kind of playing stuff. And now you meet him, and you're like, hey, Nick, show me something. He's like, and just like, he's just all over the map. And you're just like, whoa, this is ridiculous. And I can imagine him trying to teach me to actually do stuff. You know, you're sitting there and he's, I'm like, okay, Nick, give me a lesson. And Nick would sit me down and he'd go, okay, here's what you do. You know, back and forth, up and down, day in and day out, and then do this and then do that. Now I have to, and then I go, well, why, would, why do I want to do this? Because you want to play like this. Anybody feel like they're watching Bill and Ted? No. And off he goes. Now, I have two responses there. I can either look at that and go, this is ridiculous. I could never do that. I keep trying and trying and trying. This, I can't do this. Or I could look at it and go, oh, I can't stand guitar. You're just talented. This is ridiculous. In fact, I want to break your fingers. I'm so jealous. That's the same response as we have to the law. I don't like it. I'm going to fight you or I can't do it. When the law change, when we when we have a relationship with Christ, who is the law, who's in us, guiding us and leading us, and and, and Nick represents the law, and he goes <laughs> whatever he's doing, I'm going like, I'm so inspired. <laughs> beep, 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 beep. And I'll work harder, and I'll just keep trying. No, it's not work harder. It's that he goes, now try this, adjust that, do this. He's with me, coaching me, guiding me, not so that I can do the letter of what he did, not so that I have to obey the rules, but so that I can express myself freely on the guitar, as, I, as, it's been in t- as, as his goal would be. God dwells in us not to make us obey letters and rules. He dwells in us to actually change us and shape us to have the character that automatically lives in the law freely. 
so that you're not going like a youth group kid going, you don't have sex. Well, how close to the line can I get before it's sex? That's the biggest youth group question on earth. And the answer is your heart needs to be changed. You want to long for what God wants for you. You want to long for what his, what his, his direction is for you. You want to long for him because he's in you and you're going, I want to do, God, what you want me to do. And you're reading the scriptures and it's not this, oh, I got I to gotta not be at church on Sunday. I got to do only Saturday and I, I got to have these sacrifices and I got to have these letters of the law. No, no, it's the heart, the spirit of God himself in you shaping your character. What do I mean by this? We said it already, it's the word Fruit. It says you will bear fruit to God. Notice in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 23, where he actually uses the same argument. And he began this argument first. This is the first book that he wrote. Romans comes later. And he's actually saying you need to not run back to the law where it's going to bind you up and tie you down. You need to walk by the Spirit. And when you walk by the Spirit, you are going to produce fruit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Notice the last part that we don't usually memorize. Against such things, there is no law. There is no Torah against these things. Name a law that tells you not to love. Name a law that tells you not to have joy. There are some churches that will tell you that, but there is no law in the scripture that says you shouldn't express or feel the joy. Name a law that says you shouldn't have peace or patience or kind. There is no law against these things. If this is who you are, you will not break law. Because God was shaping you to be this kind of person in the first place. It's not about the written letter. It's about the spirit who dwells inside of you, longing to transform you into this character with God. You see, this is God's character. It's definitely Christ's character. And it's, it's supposed to come out of us so that we walk in a manner where we don't break law. Why does he use the word fruit? Because let's face it, fruit takes a long time to get here, doesn't it? It's not instantaneous. You don't just put a seed in the ground and go, I got a plum, you know. You put it in the ground, you water it, you water it, you work at it, you water it, you water it, and eventually this thing comes up, bing, and you're going, is that a tree or a weed? You water it, you water it, and eventually this thing gets bigger. And you're like, cool, and it's this little tiny flimsy thing, and then you water it, and eventually it gets stronger, and when it's finally mature, it bears fruit. Fruit's a process word. It takes time. It takes a lot of time. So you're a young Christian. I'm saying don't get all bogged down in, in license and law. No, no, no. Expect fruit's going to come. Expect that eventually you're going to make mistakes. You're going to fail. You're going to fall over your face. You're going to sin. And thank God the gospel has given you grace. Amen? But that doesn't mean you go run off to sin. It doesn't mean you condemn yourself with the law. It means you praise God for Jesus Christ. You get up and you let the Spirit of God continue to shape you. And one day you'll start bearing fruit. Some of you will do it real fast. Some of you, it'll take a little longer. Some of you will instantaneously have patience and then you'll wind up getting a job and getting into traffic and that'll go away. (laughs) The point is simply that we grow and develop these things over time. 
How do you grow and develop them? What does it mean to walk by the Spirit? It does not mean to just simply put your arms up and hope God tells you something because guess who else is speaking in this world? There is a devil. And he can lie to you and he does speak. So you need to know the word of God. You need to know this very well. In fact, what's interesting is in the word of God, another place it talks about fruit is in the book of John. And it's the last night of Jesus' life. And he looks at his disciples and he tells them this parable. He says, look, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Abide in me and you will bear much fruit. What are you saying? And who is Jesus? Jesus is called the word in John. What are you saying is you need to stay with me. You need to remain with me. You need to live with me. You need to stay close to me. Be in the word. Be in prayer. Be near the other branches. Have this life with me. Too many of us have compartmentalized our faith. Jesus doesn't go with you to work. He's not a part of your parenting. He's not involved in your, in your traffic time on, in, on the freeway. Jesus is just at church. And he's saying, no, you want to bear fruit? I need to be a part of your life. You need to stay with me. Connect with me. Let me nourish you with the word. And when you have the word of God solidly in your heart, and you understand what it says. When the spirit of God speaks, you'll know it's him. Because he never goes against the scripture. Never. Often, he just quotes scripture at you, and you're like, I didn't know I memorized that one. Okay. And what he does is as you obey, he conforms you, and he shapes you, and he transforms you, and he moves you. And eventually, you start bearing character of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, but it takes time, and it takes time with him. And so the challenge is this, and I'm careful to make this a challenge, but the challenge is this for this week. I would love to see us spend seven days straight drawing near to God. As Easter's coming, as we get near, we should spend seven days straight just drawing near to him. Now, this isn't a rule. You show up next week and go, I only did four. I'm not going to condemn you. Because somebody else can go, I did one. You know, we're all going to go like, yeah, how was that? Was that awesome? Don't you want more? You do seven, you're not going to walk around going, I'm so amazing, I did seven. It's like, oh, great, cool. Did you like it? Did God shape you and change you? I hope he does. I hope he does for me too. We all have this need This new relationship, we need to walk in it, we need to dwell in it, be in the word, be in prayer, communicate about him, take him with you to your work, take him with you in your car. Enjoy the fact that you're not relating to the law anymore, you're relating to God directly. Now, this is where I would normally say, would you bow your heads with me, but I'm not going to. Because there's one other way to bear fruit. The other way to bear fruit, according to the book of John, is not just in character, but a mature Christian bears fruit by bringing others to Christ. We've been talking about discipleship. We've been talking about evangelism. That's exactly what God means and intends when somebody is fruitful, is they make more disciples. And so this morning, we want to bring that forward as well. Because as you spend that time, we want you to be able to pray for these people. Easter's coming up. Is it going to be awesome? We're going to have people being baptized. We're going to have some awesome music. They got good music coming. We always got good music, don't we? And we're going to have this awesome opportunity to bring people to hear about the resurrection and the truthfulness of it and what it means for the life of a person and how it transforms. The gospel is going to be preached. We've got people in our lives that need to hear this message. And so I'm challenging you at this time 
to take that little piece of paper that was inside your notebook or inside your, your program. There's, there was probably a little piece of paper there. You probably put your gum in it thinking, oh, how convenient. So you take that out and take that piece of paper. What I would like you to do is in this time, I want you to take and write down two names of people that you want to invite to Easter. You're going to invite them. And what we're going to do is you're going to take those, you're going to write those names down, you're going to bring them up to the front. We're going to lay them out here on the front as you bring them up. Then we're going to pray over them. Then we'll gather them up, and throughout the week, the elders and the staff, we're going to, we're going to pray over those names. Because these are people who Jesus loves. These are people that we get to share this transforming reality with. They don't have to be locked down in the law. They get to be free. And the only thing that they need is to hear that message. So if you've got those names and as you write them down, bring them up and begin to lay them down here in the front. Then we'll pray together. As we pray, if you still got your name, you want to bring it up, that's fine. Let's, let's just pray together. Would you join me, please? Father, these are not just names to you. They're people. They're not just names to us. They're human beings that we love and we care about. They're our friends. They're our families. They're our neighbors. They're our coworkers. Thank you that you know their lives. You know whether they're fighting against the law or whether they're trying to live it out perfectly. You know whether they're running after a a set of beliefs that are leading them in the wrong direction or whether they're honestly being um, locked down by by sinful behaviors and habits that that even they don't want. And you, Lord Jesus, you can set people free and we pray that you would set these people free. We pray that they would receive the invitation. They'd be ready to go, ready to be excited about what you want to do in their lives. Give us the opportunities, God. Give us the bravery. Some of us are scared. But oh, we want to invite our friends. We want to bring our friends this message and our loved ones and our families and our communities this message of hope. 
We thank you that you save and we don't. We thank you that you saved us. And we know you can do the same. Would you please, please, please allow your gospel and your name to shine by letting these people take up this opportunity and and receiving you. And we lay them at your feet and we all sit in Jesus' name. Amen.